Let's take a moment and pray together as we get ready to hear from the scriptures. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. This is our prayer today. Lord Jesus, those of us who know you have seen through you enough of ourselves to know that we, we want to pray this prayer. Not us, but more of you. Christ in us. And that's what we pray for as we listen to the word this morning. That's what I pray for this morning as I preach, speak of you. Not me, but more of you through me. Lord, there are some in the room this morning who, who can't pray this prayer because they, they don't know you well enough to want to pray this prayer. But we pray this morning, that you, even for them, that you would show yourself and show yourself in a way that meets the deepest longings of every heart. Amen. So we are continuing our series called Change Known Scent, exploring some paths, particular specific ways that God will do through this congregation what we believe he has called us to. So when you see this phrase, gospel restoration, that's shorthand for our mission statement as a congregation. You'll see it printed on the front of your worship guide. We believe that God has called us to love our community to life by pursuing gospel restoration. Well, that's beautiful if you know what restoration means and if you know what the gospel is. That's why there are these other paragraphs there to flesh that out. And uh, when we say gospel, we're talking about good news, good news that Jesus has revealed and fulfilled and made accessible to us the best purposes of God's heart. So the best heart in the universe, imagining the best possible outcomes for that universe, Jesus has made all of that known and available to anybody who puts trust in him. That is good news. We rejoice it, we sing it, we pray it, we shout it, we celebrate it. And we believe that God has called us to make that good news known in a way that, that expresses love to our community. And um, that that should follow some pretty specific paths. So rather than saying something generic like we want to pursue gospel restoration, well, we think that means something very specific that Jesus is changing us in, in three particular ways. We use this language throughout this series and um, want to remind us of the way it connects with our new logo. Right? You see the cross at the center of this logo and um, that's because we think Jesus is at the center of everything that human beings need. The, all the ways that we need to be changed, all the ways that we want to experience growth, he is the one that transforms hearts and minds and lives. And, uh, and, and he doesn't just do that for us alone. He draws to himself people from all kinds of backgrounds. That's the point of all these different colors around that circle. And, and he makes us one body, a place where we can be known with the kind of safety that Andrew mentioned earlier and that we've talked about through the weekend in our times with our friend John Cox. And then, and then, and then Jesus sends us out to serve the world. He sends us out to serve our neighbors. And so those little points of light 
As Jesus draws us to himself, he then sends us back out to bring light into our world the way he's done for us. That's just a a way of thinking visually about this mission that Jesus has for us. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about what are some particular ways that he's doing that. And today, specifically, we're talking about what does it mean to be this people who are sent? Sent to do what? Sent to do well, if you added up a list of all the things that he sends every church around the world to do, the list would be too long for any one church to do. So what are the specific things that we think he wants us to do? We named one of them last week. We think Jesus wants us to serve the world by getting better at building friendships across cultural boundaries. Cross-cultural friendship and service will be a way for us to love the world to life, to show that that this really can be done. And today we're going to name another way to do that, that, that Jesus sends us into the world so that we can invite more people to know God. We're going to use a psalm to paint a picture of what that's like. It's Psalm 145, and in just a moment, Emily's going to read that for us. You'll hear it paint this picture of people who rejoice to honor and praise and delight in our God. And then you're going to hear that, that we want every generation to share this joy with us. It's not just one age group. And by the end of the psalm, you're going to hear that we want all flesh as many people as possible and as many places as possible to share this joy with us as we invite more and more people to know the God whom we delight to know. Let's hear from Psalm 145. This morning's scripture lesson comes from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are failing, falling, and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little definition for us. Evangelism is inviting people to love what you love. We haven't used that word yet this morning, evangelism. What does that word mean? Evangelism is sharing the evangelium. It would be the Latin word, right? It's a word that means good news. So evangelism is simply telling other people the good news that in Jesus Christ, the most glorious purposes of God's heart have been revealed, fulfilled, and made accessible, right? That definition of the gospel, the good news that's in our mission statement is drips throughout scripture. It is good news to know that this God is made known to us through Jesus Christ. And evangelism is just another way of saying well, what this says, we're inviting people to love what we love. Um, now, I want you to know that, that even in quoting this, we're doing a bit of what this psalm says. The psalm says that one generation will commend your works to another. And um, so that, that has happened here at InTown in more ways than we can tell. And um, some of you will know the, um, the source of this quote a man named Matthew Terrell Um, I know him as Matt and uh, some of you might know him as Matt Matt grew up in this church his parents are here sitting with us today Matt is uh, really gifted at evangelism Matt is good at inviting other people to know God Matt is good at sitting patiently and getting to know people and and to, to to learn why it is that they don't trust God and what hunger in their heart is matched by what Jesus has done and, and helping them to come to see that truth for the first time. Matt is good at doing that. And so when he was home over Christmas, knowing that I was getting ready to preach this sermon today, I was like, Matt, let's talk. I'm gonna learn from you. And so what a joy that uh, one generation has shared this good news with the next And then I got the benefit from that by sitting and learning from Matt. Evangelism is inviting people to love what you love. We think that God is calling us to do that more and more, to invite more people to know him. Now, I wanna pause a moment before we look at the, the way this psalm works and talks about that very same truth and deal with some roadblocks because the moment I use the word evangelism, sometimes roadblocks would go up. The first is a how-to roadblock. Wait a minute, I don't know how to do this. You're talking about inviting more people to know God and you're talking about somebody like a Matt Terrell who's very good at that, but I'm not that. 
I don't know how. So you talk about this and it makes me panic. It makes me feel like you're, you're asking me to be expert at something I'm clueless at. And frankly, Jimmy, um, one sermon ain't gonna be enough. It's okay. This is not even supposed to be a how-to sermon. This is a, this is a want-to sermon, right? The how-to makes no difference if there's no want-to. I know how to tie a necktie. I just don't want to. Right? So, so all that how-to in the world is not going to matter unless there's a want-to. And, and we're going to get plenty of time for how-to later in the spring. We're going to do an extended series on evangelism. We're going to walk through the highlights of the book of Acts and learn together to do something that, frankly, I'm not good at either. We'll get to the how-to, but today is more about the want-to. So that's the easier roadblock. Here's a harder roadblock to deal with. It's, its name is not how to, it's, its name is wrong to. This sense that actually evangelism is wrong. That, that talking to other people and, and trying to get them to change their minds about religious belief so that their beliefs would line up with yours sounds wrong to some people. And I'll, I'll say this very, very timely. Last week, we had a group of visitors from a, a local synagogue, 20 friends and neighbors. They are extremely nervous about this issue. The Jewish community, at least for the last 1,600 years, maybe longer, has tended not to try to convert anyone. They have, there's, a, there's a history of, of Jewish people being forced to convert under the threat of death. And so, um, so that's, it's a very sensitive point in their community, right? And, and so after our worship service last Sunday, we had a lunch where we had this very frank and open discussion. Hey, what made you uncomfortable in our worship service? What surprised you in a good way? Um, and when it was time to talk about the uncomfortable, uh, one of the, we were a little bit surprised at what came out there. Um, it was that moment where we talked about a short-term missions trip where Lanny Nixon shared about this wonderful opportunity we have to partner with an orphanage in Zambia. Everything Lanny said was perfect and right and, and so kind and gentle and, and yet there was a nervousness on the part of our Jewish neighbors missionaries, people who travel to other places, trying to get people to, to embrace your faith, that sounds wrong to us. It makes us nervous. And can I take a moment and say, this is not just an issue in the Jewish community, right? Um, recent statistics show, this is some, reflecting some research done by the Barna uh, group, and um, of millennials, 47% of millennials who say they are active Christians. So this is not millennials who say, I'm not a Christian at all. This is is millennials who say, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty active believer. Even if I'm not super mature, I'm at least, my faith isn't dead. 47% of those folks said it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith as you. 
the number seems to be about that, if not higher, among Gen Z. That's people 19 and younger. So if you're between 20 and 35 and you would identify as an active Christian, almost, almost half of you would say, I'm not really comfortable with this concept of evangelism. I'm not comfortable. I don't know if I'm comfortable being part of a church that says, we think God wants us to invite more people to know him. Now, here's what's interesting. It's like some of us in the room are like, yeah, those bad old millennials. Well, guess what? Here's me, Gen X, 27% of us say the same thing. So don't get too high on that horse, right? Baby boomers, 19% said that, said the same thing. And then um, people over 70, 20%. So there are a whole bunch of people who are at least around Christianity enough to say, yeah, that's me, who are like, I think it's maybe immoral to do evangelism. That's a serious roadblock. That ain't a how-to issue. Hey, if I think it's wrong to, I don't want to. So help. So let's help a minute. What's going on with that? Well, Matt and I did some talking together. I think part of it is this. We assume that inviting someone else to know God is a way of saying, I got to be judgmental and condemning. That if I want to have a conversation with somebody about faith, in which I would say, it would please me if you would believe the same things that I believe because they're true and good and life-giving and they, and they have the possibility to heal this whole planet and everything that's wrong with it. Not immediately, but in the end, yeah, that would be good. But in order to do that, I have to adopt this persona that says, everything you ever believed is wrong and I'm right and shame on you and you're the bad person in this conversation and I'm the good one. So I think one of the reason that we look at this graph and we see 47, 27, 19, 20% of, of active Christians saying, I don't like this idea of evangelism. One of the, reason, one of the reasons they're saying that is what they think, they think they're saying, I don't like the possibility that I need to become a very judgmental person. Good. Good. Here's the other assumption. I think I have to be arrogant and confrontational. I have to be the kind of person who wants to pick a fight and start a war of ideas and I have to come in with this attitude that says my ideas are better than yours and I don't want to go there. And so that's why I answered the question this way. I don't want to go there. Okay, let's not go there. We don't have to go to those places. Here's one of the reasons I believe that from Scripture. What you'll notice with both of these assumptions is they start in the wrong place. This first one starts with you. There's something wrong with you, and I need to condemn it. There's something wrong with you, and I stand in judgment over it. It starts with you. Now, this second assumption starts with me. I'm the one who has the right ideas. I've got it right. But notice where this psalm starts. 
It doesn't start in either of those places. It starts with God. It starts with him. Right? Very first verse. I will extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So whatever this, this project of making his name known until we arrive to the very end of the psalm, verse 21, and all flesh could hear his name and all flesh could have an opportunity to be invited to bless his name forever and ever. Whatever that project is, whether we call it evangelism or whether we call it missionary work or whether we call it sharing our faith or some people call it witnessing or some people call it giving testimony to the Lord's work in your life. Some people say it's telling my story of faith. Whatever we call that project, it doesn't start with something wrong in the person we're talking to and it doesn't start with something right in us. It starts with God. It starts with him. And if we start there, we don't wind up in those places we don't want to go. Arrogant, judgmental, high horse, mean-spirited, narrow-minded. You got to start with a heart big enough to see him. We love knowing God. This is who we are. These are our people. The people who wrote and sang and have continued to sing Psalm 145 for millennia, these are our people. We are a people who love knowing God. Why? Why do we love knowing him? Well, we don't have time to go through all the details, but just start looking, right? (laughs) Verse three, his greatness is unsearchable. I would never run out of of territory to explore if I wanted to know how great he is. His works deserve to be commended from one generation to the next. His mighty acts need to be declared. The glorious splendor of your majesty, verse five says, your wondrous works, your awesome deeds. Verse seven, your abundant goodness Shown to whom? Verse 9. Over all that he has made. Overflowing goodness. And then verse 8 caps it all off and says the Lord is gracious and he is merciful. He is slow to anger. He's been so patient with me. So patient with you. So patient with a world wandering from him. And he's abounding in chesed. Steadfast love, the ESV says. Faithful covenant love, some translations say. Simply plain old love, other translations say. Because you can't find one word big enough to pack it all in. The kind of faithful, gracious kindness that promises to be there and always is unbreakably so. Faithful covenant love that never goes away. God abounds in that we delight to know him because of this we delight because we have been those who were falling and he held us up 
We love knowing him because we have been bowed down and he has raised us up. We love knowing him because we have looked to him to meet our needs and he has opened his hand and satisfied our desires. And in Jesus, we see exactly how far he's willing to go to open his hand. We, found, we see how far he's willing to go to raise up the bow down. In Christ, we see how far he's willing to go to overflow with chesed. Verse 10 says, your works shall, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Normally, when you see the word saints in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's translating a Hebrew uh, word, uh, kadosh. Kadoshim will bless you. But here, the word is actually not that. All your chasid shall bless you. Lord, you're full of chesed, and we are your chasid. We are those upon whom you have showered faithful, unbreakable kindness, mercy, and love. We love knowing you because you love us that way. We love knowing you. And because we love knowing you, We want to say we love knowing you. Lord, we want to say that to you. I will extol you, my God, my King. Verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you that it's good to know you. That's why we worship every week. It's one of the things we do when we're together. It's who we are. We want to say that to him. We want to say that to each other. One generation shall commend your works to another. We we want to get together and say to each other, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Sometimes we speak straight to him. Great are you, Lord. Sometimes we're talking to each other. Do you know the Lord we love? He is great. Let's tell each other that. And then we want to tell it to other people. Right? We want to say that we love knowing God. We want to say that to him. We want to say that to each other. And we want to say it to, well, what, what this uh, translation calls the children of man. Verse 12. Lord, we love you so much because you've showered your chesed, your kindness, your mercy, your love, your unbreakable faithful love on us. We love you so much that we want to tell and make known to every human being the glorious splendor of what it means for you to be the king. So yesterday, uh, Trisha and I, you know, we were part of this marriage conference over the weekend. And, and we live about seven miles from here and that's long enough, far enough, to go a pretty long way in applying some of the stuff you learned from John Cox And so we were having this conversation about something pretty deep and pretty painful. One of these kind of, um, hey, there's this decision that you made, Jimmy, and, and I was trying to tell you it was the wrong one and you weren't listening. And I never felt like, felt like you heard me and I never felt like if you did hear me, you weren't really gonna take my perspective seriously. And that really hurt. 
And I said, you know what? I can't go there right now, Tricia. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I can't go there right now. Okay, all this under the heading of, right, we didn't just shift from learning about this to learning about Jimmy and Tricia. We're learning why, why his kingdom is glorious. I said, Trisha, I can't go there right now. And here's why. If you tell me you think I made that decision wrong, the next thing that happens is I start to question whether every decision I ever made was the wrong one. Because if I got one wrong, maybe I got them all wrong. And John Cox, where are you? Because I want to kick your butt right now. Because she said to me, and this is all your fault, you and the Holy Spirit, and he's above my pay grade, so I'm coming after you. She said to me, well, that's worth exploring. (laughs) So I went inside, and I had to finish getting ready to preach this morning, but instead I sit down, and I'm like, yeah, that's worth exploring. And then what I realized is I live in a kingdom where there's a law and that law says this. That law says if you get one thing wrong, you failed at everything. What a cruel kingdom to live in. What a terrible master to serve. His name is perfectionism. I know him well. I've served him a long time. Why do we love this God? Why do we want other people to know about him? Because we want to say, all the other kings are cruel. All the other kings will ask of you more than you could ever, ever supply. This king will supply what you can't. This king, How far did he go? This king went so far as to be destroyed so that others, so that all flesh can have an opportunity to hear his name. It's part of how we process what this psalm says in verse 20 when it says, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy Many of us in the room wish that the Bible didn't say that, honestly. Might be easier on our conscience. If, if, if this beautiful psalm, lovely celebrating God's abundant kindness and chesed and mercy and love weren't messed up by this hint that he will destroy the wicked, what do we do with that? A couple of responses. One is we notice proportion. That's one half of one verse that focuses on that. How much of the psalm is about God's kindness, goodness, abundant grace, slow to anger. So we want to get the proportions right. The other thing we want to do is we want to say, hey, this isn't just some crazed psalmist who, who, who didn't know Jesus writing this. Jesus himself spoke soberly about this reality. Matthew 7, 13, he says, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And I would say to any Christian, I would say to any person, whether you're a Christian or not, but especially those who are Christians, 
trying to be more wise and just and loving and compassionate than Jesus is a dangerous enterprise. Don't go there. Even if he asks you to believe something that is uncomfortable for you, it is better to go where he leads than to try to be wiser and more gracious than he is. And then we come back to this fact that Jesus, Jesus didn't just talk about the possibility that God would destroy people who see his kindness and reject it. Jesus took the place of people who do that. Jesus himself was destroyed. That is why we love this God. That is why we want to say that we love knowing this God. And that is why we want to say this in a way that invites other people to know him and love him too. That's why this psalm ends as it does. Every line of this psalm starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is like an A to Z of knowing and praising God. And here's where it ends and leads to. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And I really hope that as more and more of us speak the praise of the Lord, that all flesh would come not to be destroyed but to know his abundant goodness and steadfast love and bless his holy name forever and ever. So there's a very powerful moment last week when you know, we were having this lunchtime conversation with our Jewish friends and what courage they showed by coming here because as we talked, hey, what, what made you uncomfortable? Some of them said, I was nervous about even coming to sit in your worship service because I'd heard so many bad stories about how you would pretend to be our friends just so you could hit us over the head with the Bible at some point, bait and switch, and just kind of waiting for that to happen. But it never did. Thank you. What else? What what made you uncomfortable? Well, you know that moment about the mission trip. Okay, let's talk about that. And, and then this uh, man from the synagogue asked the question, you, could, could you help us understand why, you th- why that's so important? Why is that such a big part of your faith? And so one of the things we do when we're in these conversations is Ari, the rabbi, and I, we say we, want as, we, we don't want to be the only ones answering questions. We want to invite other people to answer questions too. So this question gets asked, and I asked John and Sue Birch, career missionaries, would, would you be comfortable answering that question? And they kind of look at each other, you know, like, you go, you go, you go, you go. <laughs> and finally, John stands up, and guys, you couldn't have been more proud to be the pastor of InTown at this moment, more <laughs> thankful for the work of Jesus, like, really Because when John stood up, it's not only what he said, but the heart of love for God and people that was behind every word he spoke. And and he said this, and I won't get all the words right, John, so forgive me, but I know that you were drawing on a, a verse from Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14. 
that the earth may be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. That's where he started. We just have this desire that that the earth would be filled. Habakkuk 2.14, Don didn't say that. He didn't need to. Everybody in the room from the synagogue knew. (laughs) This is Habakkuk, right? That the earth may be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. And what wisdom to start with the Hebrew scriptures, Habakkuk, instead of running straight to something Jesus said in the New Testament, which we love dearly, but wouldn't communicate that hard as much to our Jewish neighbors. What wisdom in that. But notice this wisdom John showed in that moment. He didn't start with human activity. He started with this is what God is like. And this is why we want this thing and this is why we do the things that lead to it. God is like this. He is so glorious that we would want knowledge of him to fill the earth so full as like, like the ocean is full of water. That full, he started with God and knowing him makes you want to sing about him and speak and talk, counsel and comfort using this good news about him. And that's why we do these things that invite other people to share our faith, not because we want to be arrogant and mean and judgmental. But we start with him. See what wisdom and kindness and love was there? In exactly the moment where people were so afraid of being attacked, of being condemned, of being mistreated, tricked, bullied, taken advantage of. A heart that starts with God. A heart that starts with receiving his chesed, his mercy, his grace, his love. And then wants other people to be loved by that same God, loved with that same love. So to hear the good news, that you can get that love because of everything that Jesus has done. We'll come back to how to. That's the why to, the want to. We love to share this good news to invite people because we've been loved like that. Here's where we shift gears in how we learn. But it's the same message, right? It's love. The kind of love that would be destroyed. The kind of love that would let itself be broken and poured out so that others could be loved. Same message. We're just telling it with signs instead of words. That's what a sacrament is. There are two. There's baptism and there's the Lord's Supper. We come to this moment each week 
another way of telling that same story. Today we're going to prepare for doing this by using a confession of faith. It comes from uh, a catechism, kind of a Q&A learning device that was written several centuries ago. Um, and it's going to reach back to the Lord's Prayer. And it's going to remind us, when we pray that prayer, and we say in the second request, thy kingdom come, what is it that we mean? And as we unpack that through this confession, you're going to hear a couple of the dynamics that happen at the Lord's Supper. One is, this is a way of confessing that you want to live in that kingdom under that king. So if that's not your confession, if you don't want Jesus to be your king, then you shouldn't take part in this sacrament. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, hearing, learning. But part of what happens at this table is, is, is a, a way of saying in public, this is my king. The other thing that's going to happen is if you have said that, then this is one of the ways that Jesus shows up to advance the kingdom of grace. That he's going to pour more of his chesed into your life today because you are doing this together with others, remembering his sacrifice on our behalf and holding tight to that until he comes again. That Jesus is going to show up and he is going to advance his rule and reign. He's going to show up and he's going to say to me today, I sure hope because I need it. He's going to say, Jimmy, you know what? That, that kingdom of perfectionism, when you taste this wine today, that is my way of saying to you, you are free. You don't have to bow down to Lord P again. No more perfectionism. You do not have to do that. And you're free to go there with Tricia. You're free to have that conversation without living under that. Jesus shows up in these moments to advance his kingdom of grace, even if we don't expect him to. He does.